Uh, I am excited to be here with you. It's a privilege and an honor to uh, serve uh, this evening. I pray that as we walk through some practical matters together, that it can help you to think through this, not only from a counseling perspective, but just for practical living. Um, marriage is a very special thing that God has provided for us. And sometimes we minimize it. And I'm hoping tonight that we can think through uh, as we are working with people with issues of marriage that we could see it beyond the issue and see it within a broader perspective. So as we think about it, let me give you the first statement that I want you to process with me. And just think this through for just a moment. When people come to us and they say we have marriage problems, my challenge to them is this. We don't have marriage problems we have character deficiencies that showed up in the marriage. Okay, let that sink in. We don't have marriage problems. We have character deficiencies that showed up in the marriage. The marriage is fine. It's the character that's the issue. And too often, people are wanting to fix their marriage versus addressing the character that God is bringing up through the marriage. And too often we are focused in on the problem and not recognizing that every problem in marriage is tied to a bigger issue of the marriage. And what I want to do tonight as we talk about the purpose of marriage, I want to suggest to you that we can't begin with understanding the purpose of marriage until we first understand the purpose of our life. Because what tends to happen is that people want a solution for the marriage and there's no solution, there's no formula, there's character development, which comes back to faith development, which comes back to spiritually, where are you with Jesus Christ? So, you remember Second Corinthians, you know that little chapter 5 around, you know, verse 15 that says that Christ died, that those who live might no longer, what? Live for themselves, except when you get married. See, one of the challenges is we tend to forget our salvation experience. It was a deliverance from the penalty of sin. It was a deliverance from the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. Our salvation experience allowed us to be changed in our position from sinner to saint and our condition from being dead to being alive. Now, if that's true, and we believe it is because we trust the sufficiency of Scripture, then that meant at the point of salvation, my life was no longer my own, and the key was to no longer live for myself, but by the power that now indwells me, through the Holy Spirit, to live out and practice what I am by position. Am I talking Bible here? If that's true, then what you'll discover is that where there are marriage problems, there are character deficiencies. And where there are character deficiencies, somewhere now I've started living to please me again and stopped living to please God. When people miss that, they also miss a bigger purpose. Why am I living to please me in the marriage? Because somehow I forgot that by salvation, the reason why I exist is supposed to be bigger than the reason why I'm in this marriage. And too often, when you think about it, and we're going to look at this together, our problems in marriage are tied to one simple formula. We have reduced the marriage or the relationship to being about us. And when you reduce the marriage and relationship to being about you, you've reduced the life that you were given to being about you, which means you've missed something from the beginning that goes back to your salvation experience. Am I making sense so far? So I know I'm putting a lot out there early because we got a lot to do. We've got a lot to cover in just a couple of hours, and it's going to be like a water hose, but it's all right. You've got the notes. You can always go back and review. So here's the point I want to make. We can't talk about the purpose of marriage until we deal with the purpose of life. So let's explore that together. Why do you and I exist? And that's a simple question, but it's one that if you were to look at anyone's marriage and start talking about this before you start talking about their problems you will begin to see that maybe they've missed this reality. Why do I exist? Why did God allow me to function? Why am I here? And it's one simple purpose. The purpose of your life is simple but profound, which is to bring glory to God. So if we think about it, why do I exist? You were created to bring glory to God in all aspects of life. Now, that's a churchy word, right? Glorify, glorify, glorify. We hear that word all the time. Let's break down glorification and what it means on a practical level. And from there, let's think about what that means and then go back to except for marriage. 
and you'll discover that every marital problem comes back to a deficiency not only in character, but a misunderstanding of why you exist. So with that in mind, the purpose of life, why do I exist? You were created to bring glory to God in all aspects of life. Think about Isaiah 43, 7. You jump in the middle of that passage. He says, whom I created for my glory. And whom there, pronoun, he's talking about people. Every individual was created for the glory of God, which means something simple. There's nothing that God created that was created for itself. Name me one thing that God created for itself. Is there anything? Please show me, tell me from Old Testament, New Testament. I'm I'm open to listen and learn. And what we'll discover, there's nothing that God created that was created for itself. So the moment you are consumed with yourself, you're living a sub-existence. You're living outside of God's design. And the moment the marriage is reduced to you, you're living outside of God's design. The moment you live for yourself, you're living inconsistent with why God created you. So if you're out of order with yourself, why are you shocked that there's disorder in the marriage? Why are you shocked that there's disorder in the family? Why are you shocked there's disorder and we can just go on and on and on? Because nothing created was created for itself. Romans 11.36, all things are from him, through him, to him. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's what most people say. All things are from me, to me, and through me. To me be the glory. Because when they come for marriage counseling, they'll say to me, Pastor, and guess what the first two words out of their mouth is? My, and you fill in the blank, my wife, my husband. So what are they telling me up front? The problem that exists is with them. And, And I can tell you the basic story of most people that come to me for marriage counseling. They're wrong. I'm right. I need you to convince them how right I am, how wrong they are. And I came to you to get them fixed so we can get back to the happiness I believe I deserve because this marriage is for me. True or false? And the sad reality is that's a Christian who believes that their life has been reduced to themselves. And they forgot Second Corinthians 5.15. Christ died that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 talks about we were created for Christ. He is the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our ambition, whether dead or alive, to be pleasing to God. Matthew 5, 14, let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Except when you get married. See, the moment we take it back to why we exist, we'll begin to see the purpose of marriage is tied to the problems with marriage, which goes back to the purpose of why we exist. So, again, we see to glorify God, which means to demonstrate the greatness of his character. But secondly, to demonstrate the greatness of his character by functioning according to his design in all aspects of life. And then thirdly, we break it down. To demonstrate the greatness of his character by functioning according to his commands in all aspects of life. This is what we mean by glorifying God. Your whole life was meant to operate in such a manner by which God has constructed that you reflect the fact that you are his image bearer. The struggle we have as individuals is that we're trying to be definers when God made us image bearers. Image bearers don't get to define. Image bearers get to reflect. And we're either reflecting one or two things. We're either reflecting the character of Jesus Christ or the ways of the world, which ultimately are the ways of Satan. And when you try to define what you weren't meant to define, you're just merely reflecting that which is either of Christ or of the devil. In most cases, trying to define something other than what you were meant to reflect, you're trying to operate like Satan who wanted to control the uncontrollable, which was his own existence. The reason I say these things is because marriage problems are character deficiency problems. Character deficiency problems are going back to image problems, which are going back to where are you understanding about your existence? And too often when people approach marriages, they focus in on the problem, not understanding that that's a fruit issue and not the root issue. 
and they're trying to fix a problem versus understanding the problem is exposing a symptom of something deeper. And so part of this, what I'm trying to do just to kind of hopefully challenge you to think about the purpose of marriage is to get you back to that's always tied to something bigger than the marriage itself. When I do premarital counseling, I ask this question of the couple, and it blows them away every time. And I do it on purpose just to mess with people. I mean, I love doing that, right? I'll say to them, what's your mission statement for this marriage? Tell me what you were meant to do together that you couldn't do apart. And they look at me the way you're looking at me now. And I do that on purpose because I want them to understand that even the first marriage was bigger than the marriage itself. Adam didn't marry Eve because he was lonely. He was alone. And he couldn't get the job done apart from her. Isn't that what God said? It's not good for man to be alone. And then he described the reason for existence. I will create for him a help mate suitable. Because he could not bring glory to God and accomplish the agenda that was set apart from having a woman work with him. Their existence together was meant that there was something that they had to do together that could not be done apart to accomplish the kingdom agenda that God has set. And the moment you reduce marriage to you, you've reduced life to you, you've reduced the world to you. And here's the problem with that. I don't know, stupid question. Is something bigger than you that exists? Were you created for yourself? I mean, dumb question. And the answer is no. So the more you focus on yourself and make yourself the center, isn't that being full of yourself? Now, here's a problem. I thought God told us to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. So when you're full of yourself, you expect everyone else to be as full of you as you are of yourself. And here's the problem with that. No one is ever going to love you as much as you love you because you're full of yourself. You ever thought about that? And because you're so full of yourself, you're going to always be disappointed with people because they didn't think about you as much as you were thinking about you in that very moment. Give an example. When you get mad at someone, why are you mad at them? As my grandma would say, baby, tell the truth and shame the devil. (laughs) Why are you mad? Think about it. When you're mad at someone in that moment, you're mad at them because who are they not thinking about? As much as you're thinking about you. And it's kind of hypocritical because as you're full of yourself, they're being full of themselves too. But you're upset with them because they're not full of themselves at a level that satisfies you because you're full of yourself. Do we see the problem here? I was talking to a guy one day, and he called me. He was on the road. He was a truck driver. Pastor. I said, yes, sir. Man, my wife, she tripping. (laughs) Okay, why your wife tripping? Man, I got home, and, you know, she had the food, and she had it in the wrapper, and she had it wrapped up, and she had it in the microwave, and it just upset me. I said, let me get this straight. Your wife cooked food for you. Yeah. She cooked it the way you liked it. Yeah. But she had it in the microwave so you could heat it up. Yeah, man, why couldn't she eat the food for me? I said, well, you know what? Let's just take her outside and beat her. How dare she be so inconsiderate of you? And he got quiet. I said, let me get this straight. Your wife knew that you weren't going to be home in time to get the food when she cooked it. And she thought enough of you to put it in a wrapper and put it in the microwave so you can get home. You could heat it up. And you're still upset. I said, you know what your problem is? You live too much by fantasy and not enough by faith. See, people live in two ways that are dangerous to faith. They either live by fear or fantasy. When you live by fear, you're always waiting for the bottom to fall out. So even when things are good, you're waiting for the bad. So you can't even enjoy the good because you're waiting on the bad. And then there are people who live by fantasy. So when you do something good, it's never enough because it just wasn't the way they pictured it. And so even though it may have been a good thing, they always had this in mind. So you're always falling short with those people because it wasn't quite just the way they thought. But when you live by faith, you embrace the reality of God and the privileges that he's provided at whatever level he gives because God is enough. He's sufficient. But when you live by fear of fantasy, nothing is ever enough. I said, and my friend, you live too much by fantasy and not enough by faith. So your wife will never be pleasing to you. 
I said, the problem with that is you're full of yourself when you need to get over yourself. Hello? (laughs) What point am I making? Purpose of life. We were meant to bring glory to God. That's why you and I exist. Am I making sense so far? All right, let me go back. What are the objectives of life? In other words, purpose, why do we exist? The objectives, what are we trying to accomplish? And here's the big picture. <coughs> Excuse me. The objectives of life, the overarching goals I need to accomplish to fulfill my purpose, you are to focus on pleasing God. And what does that mean? There are three things that are our objectives as Christians. So in other words, if the goal of our life, if the purpose of why we exist is to bring glory to God, God has three key objectives for all of us. And these three key objectives are the avenue and the ways in which we should think about every day of life. Objective number one is to know God intimately. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. Now, the Greek word for know is not just intellectual knowledge. It's an intimacy. See, some of you know the 23rd Psalm by heart. Some of you know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. It's the latter that that Greek word is emphasizing. Some of you know about the grace of God. Some of you have embraced the reality of the grace of God. John 17.3 says our objective, our existence was meant to have this intimate awareness. Psalm 103 tells us that the Israelites saw the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. We have been saved, redeemed, set apart. Objective is to have this intimate knowing of God. That's one of our objectives every day of our existence. When we get up, it is for us to embrace this reality. Second objective is to become like Jesus Christ to maturity in all aspects of life. Think about that Second Corinthians 3.18. From glory to glory. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are to look like, taste like, smell like Jesus. Character, conduct, conversations, our commitments, our commodities, our communions, our connections. Everything about us is to reflect the very image of the one to whom we have been saved to and saved by. But the third objective We're to be useful to God. And what does it mean to be useful? We are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And if you want to summarize the good works, you are an ambassador and you are a builder. What is an ambassador? Every unbeliever you encounter, you have a mission. They are to get from you the character of Jesus Christ and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone that belongs to Jesus Christ, you are a builder, according to Ephesians 4. Somehow, through that relationship, as you invest, you were meant to invest in people's lives that belong to Christ to help them grow in their character and grow in their faith. Except when you get married. Are you seeing the principle and the picture? You show me people with problems in marriage, I show you character deficiencies, I show you a lack in understanding the purpose of their existence, I show you where their marriage problems are not marriage problems, but issues of misunderstanding the mission of why they exist and what they've reduced the marriage to versus what they should have the marriage be about. Which comes back to character deficiencies where God is using it as an opportunity to help those individuals see something bigger than the problem. Of the marriage. Am I making sense so far? So if we go back, the purpose of our existence, again, we're getting to the purpose of marriage, but we can't hit the purpose of marriage until we truly understand the purpose of our existence, because that doesn't change when you get married. It should go deeper when you get married. And what happens to too many people, they haven't really embraced the purpose of their existence, so they run into marriage, and they're doing in marriage what they were doing when they were single. You were self-centered when you were single, now you're self-centered in the marriage. You can't figure out why it's not working. As I tell a lot of young men and young women, you weren't with the wrong guy, the wrong gal. You've just had the wrong agenda with all these same women and men. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And because you've had the wrong agenda, you keep aiming in the same direction and you keep getting the same thing. It's like this guy was counseling on his fifth wife. He said, I think it's me. I said, you think? (laughs) 
Now you figure it out after wife number five, maybe it's you. It's been you the whole time. And too often we keep thinking there's a right one. No, there's a right agenda with anyone that belongs to Jesus Christ. But if I don't see it that way, I keep doing the same thing because I've reduced life to something that it wasn't meant to be. So we talked about the purpose of our life. We've talked about the objectives. Number three, what about the process? What steps do I need to take to accomplish my goals to fulfill my purpose? Very simple principle. You must hear what to obey and then obey what you hear from God's word in all aspects of life. What does that look like practically? Learn the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Live the truth. Love others by the truth. That's not complicated, is it? That's the process. If we want to fulfill the objectives of knowing him, becoming like him, being useful to him, which leads to him being glorified as we function, we learn what God says, we live what God says, we love others through that process. When I am lacking here, it's going to be lacking in my character. It's going to be lacking in every other relationship I'm in. And then we come to counseling, wanting someone to fix our marriage. And the marriage is not broken. It's the characters that are showing up in the marriage. What does that boil down to? The structure of life. How do we work this out practically? And again, notice we haven't talked about marriage yet because what we'll discover is if I'm not clear on this, we can't really understand the purpose of marriage if I don't understand the purpose of my life. Because again, marriage is to be an expansion of this purpose where it's not just me now, it's me and someone else. And together we have decided that we will accomplish God's agenda together. This is why I ask couples, before you finish this premarital counsel with me, are you willing to accept that the marriage must be bigger than you and the person you're marrying? If you're not willing to accept that, we have wasted our time together. As I'm dealing with couples who are married already, I say to them, what you don't know yet that I hope you'll understand over time is that they're not two victims before me. They're two villains. And they don't like that. And then they get on the same accord being mad at me, which is great. I said, you're not two victims, they're two villains. Two people in this marriage who believe that they deserve what they want because of what they put into it which means they haven't been living to please God, but living to please self. So every choice they've made for the other person was not for the other person, but to gain an advantage for themselves. That doesn't sound like love is patient, love is kind. That doesn't sound like my ambition is to please God. That sounds like an agenda that has been reduced to being about how can I get you to do what I want for me, which is different than living by the Spirit. That's called walking in the flesh. And when you're walking in the flesh, you're not living to please God. You're living to please who? And marriage problems are an opportunity to expose where there's character deficiency, which is showing where you're to be progressing in sanctification. There's a lack because somehow life and marriage has been reduced to you. So what's the structure of life? How how do we work this out in the context of life? Well, let me suggest to you that all your life, every relationship that you're tied to, whether married or single, divorced, remarried, widow, you name it, every relationship you have is organized or organized around these three specifics about your life. One, consider this. You are a disciple, period. If you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your first and ultimate relationship and position is that one of disciple. What does a disciple do? Whatever Jesus tells them to do. Is that true or false? You are a follower of Christ. That means every aspect of your life is to be submitted to, understood by, connected to the reality that you are his. Regardless of what people say, do, think about you is irrelevant. I tell people, when you limit your life to the opinions of others, you've made man big and God small. If you're living right, not everybody's going to like you. But if you're living right, you'll love other people even when they don't like you. Because it's not so much about what people think of you as what you think of people. Because Jesus didn't love us according to who we were. He loved us according to who he what was and then told us to go do the same and gave us the power to do it. So it's not that we can't do it. We have to identify why we're not doing it. Does that make sense, everybody? These become the realities 
that we have to start to think through when we look at these things. And again, not getting to marriage yet, but understanding these are some basic realities that if we start embracing, we can look at marriage from a whole nother perspective. You are to work out your role as an ambassador. What is an ambassador? Is one who no longer belongs to this world, but to the kingdom of God. You are to be an instrument in the hand of God, whereby through your presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, God may perhaps deliver sinners from their sin into a right relationship with God that will last for eternity. You're to work out your role as a builder, as one who knows or is now a citizen of God's kingdom. You are to be an instrument in the hand of God. You are to help others who are Christians to grow to maturity in their character and faith in Christ Jesus. Now think about this. Let's say you have a nephew that is an unbeliever. Well, you become a auntie or a uncle that's an ambassador. Let's say you have a brother that's a believer. Well, you become a sister or a brother to that individual that is a builder of his life. Your role, regardless of the other relationships you have, you're either an ambassador or a builder to every individual in your life because that is the underlying existence of what you are meant to be as a Christian. And the moment you get that, you see that your relationships with other people are bigger than just that relationship. You're not just a brother, a sister, an uncle, a a family member, a neighbor. You are an ambassador or a builder who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Except when you get married. Except when you are dating. You see the picture? See, the moment we understand that relationships were always meant to be bigger than a relationship, we can see where some of the problems are happening in every relationship because we've made it something other than God's design for our existence. So, how do we look at this practically? Let me see if I can get to this another way. How should we be viewing ourselves? Consider this. You guys have this in your notes? Okay, good, because I see some inconsistencies in my PowerPoint. I know that's a problem. i got to fix that when I get home. But note to self, I'm talking out loud. Can you all hear me talk to myself right now? Okay. (laughs) Write it on my hand, right? Here's the one thing. We have been created for the purpose of knowing God, reflecting the character of God, and being useful to God. Each person has been designed with the material and non-physical aspects so that he may function on earth as ordained and commanded by God. God has control over humans and the entire universe. People were never designed to function outside of the moral commands of God. That's just clear cut. But thirdly, the idea that a person is at the center of his own existence, inherently good and able to determine his destiny apart from any need of God directly contradicts the reality that each person is a sinner in need of a Savior and cannot determine his destiny apart from the creator who has set him as the agenda or set an agenda for him. Letter D, Ecclesiastes 9.1, Jeremiah 10.23, Matthew 4.4. They give us views of God as sovereign ruler, sustainer, and director of humanity in all aspects of existence. Therefore, a person does not have the ability to know himself accurately, to guide himself properly, or grow himself, or sustain himself apart from God. Any teaching that promotes self-dependency or self-actualization is in contradiction to a biblical view of existence. We must live in submission to the will of God in all aspects of our lives. Here's something I want you to think about. This was given by, I love this man. Um, His name was Paul Tripp. Some of you may have heard of him. Anybody familiar with Paul Tripp? I think, uh uh-oh. There we go. We were never made or remade to live for ourselves. We were created for the transcendence. The borders of our lives were always meant to be bigger than the borders of our lives. Then, when we live this way by his grace, we not only become part of the most important work in the universe, but here's the key. We're giving back our humanity. Except when you get married... I start here, and we're going to transition in a moment. I'm going to give you a commercial break because I've said a whole lot in a little bit of time. But what I want you to think about, just before we get into this, I purposely started here 
Because too many people, when they start to talk about the purpose of marriage, they forget the purpose of our existence. And marriage problems aren't marriage problems. They're character deficiencies that have showed up in the marriage. Character deficiencies that show up in the marriage are showing one of two things. Either there's a reality that maybe this person does not belong to Christ, or there's a reality that this person somewhere has lost the focus that their salvation was not just for themselves. Now, think about this, and I want you to walk with me for just a moment. According to Ephesians chapter 1, when you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you were immediately sealed with the Spirit of God. Is that true? It also says in that same book that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you and within me. Is that true? We go over to the book of Philippians. It tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It didn't say work for. It says work out, which means we're working from something. Is that correct? And it says that God is at work within us. So is it safe to say that everything God commands us to do, we have the power to do it? Is that true or false? So then there's only three reasons, saint, why you're not obeying God. Only three and only three. Hear me well. Lack of knowledge. I just didn't know. Okay, well, here you go. Bam. Lack of skill. I just didn't know how. Okay, well, let me show you. Bam. A lack of three. Lack of will. I just won't. When I know someone is a Christian, and I am convinced the fruit is clear that this person belongs to Jesus Christ, there's only three reasons why they're not obeying God. Lack of knowledge, lack of skill, lack of will. When I'm doing marriage counseling, I'm evaluating this. If it's number one and number two, I've got all the time in the world. But you know what I have no time for? Number three, I can't make you. I can't force you. I'm not a fixer. I'm a facilitator. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And what happens too often in counseling is that you try to be something you're not. There's no junior Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? You can't make anybody do what the Bible commands. You can't force anybody. You can't fix anybody. And the moment you try, you forget your place. You are an instrument in the hands of God, not the determiner of people's lives. And when someone is unwilling, I always tell them, this is above my pay grade. This is a Hebrews 12 moment. Whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. And if this continues, as the shepherd of this little church, I have to do something that I don't want to do, which is called church discipline. Because I can't make you obey God, but I won't allow you to corrupt this body of believers. I can't make you obey, but I can keep you from the rest of those who are trying. Does that make sense, everybody? And too often what we try to do is fight people into obedience or force people. And here's the arrogance of that. You couldn't make yourself obey. So how are you going to make someone else obey? How did you come to your senses? Did you just one day wake up and say, oh, now I'm going to obey God? You had to be broken. And who did that to you? So the audacity to think that you can make someone listen to God is arrogance. Humility says, it's good. I love you. And I tell people all the time, you're about to spill this milk. I love you. I'm trying to keep you. But if you won't listen, I have to let you spill it. And we got a lot of towels to help you clean it up. But here's what we can't do. You can't spill it inside this room. Because at this point, it's not that you don't know what to do. It's not that you don't know how to do it. It's not that you don't have the power. You're unwilling. That's rebellion. I can't fight. Now, when I was younger in the faith, I was in for a good fight. You know, just got out of seminary. I thought I knew everything, and I want to show you how much I know. Bam and bam and show you how smart I am. As I got older, I recognized knowledge was not to puff me up. Knowledge was to serve others who want it. And for those who don't want it, I have to accept God's will for their lives, which is beyond my pay grade. Now, I say all of that to say, as we get into this purpose of marriage, understand that we haven't talked about marriage, but we're talking a lot about marriage, aren't we? 
Because when you look at some of the central issues in marriage, it's not really about the marriage. It's two individuals who have reduced life to themselves. And in reducing life to themselves, they forgot the purpose of their existence. And forgetting the purpose of their existence, we see one of two things. If they're truly Christians, it's a lack of knowledge, lack of skill, or lack of will. And whereas number three, it becomes a declaration to say, I have to let God do whatever God's going to do with you. But here's what we can't do. There was an old song, and I always say this to people. You ain't got to go home. But you can't stay here. We love you. We love God. We love the people here. And a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So at this point, you've got a decision. And we're here to serve you. And what we can't do, we have friends in Granbury. We have friends around the country that are wiser than us, that God's word is sufficient. And where we lack in that sufficiency, we know some who have it. And we can serve you. We can help you with your problem. Because God's word is greater than your situation. And we can get specific and precise to help you in the process. But you've got to be willing. You've got to be humble. But if you're unwilling and not humble, there's not much we can do. Now, we're going to take a commercial break. Because I've said a whole lot in a little bit of time. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Two questions. Is he crazy? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not a question I want you to ask. Okay. No. Question number one. Does this make sense? Question number two. What's the relevance of talking about this before you talk about marriage? Okay. Number one, does it make sense? Number two, what's the relevance of talking about this before you talk about marriage? And then when we transition, then we're going to look at the purpose of marriage tied to what we've just talked about. Take about two minutes, turn to the person next to you, and then we'll close out with that. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18. We're going to read verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. And I want to read it, and then we're going to go back and do exposition through it. But now we're looking at the purpose of marriage. But think about everything we've just talked about with that in the context. And when I'm doing premarital counseling, this is kind of the ways I try to do this, because I'm trying to help that couple to understand that marriage is bigger than he's cute, kind, and cuddly, and that she's sweet and sexy and turns me on. Because in most cases, they've limited the relationship to being about that, and it has to be bigger than that. And they believe she's the one, he's the one, because of, you know, the Michael Jackson theology, the way you make me feel, you know. But when you no longer feel like that, then what? You know, and so marriage has to be bigger than the attraction, or attraction will lead it, and the attraction will destroy it. Attraction is not wrong, it's a beautiful thing, but when you minimize relationships to just those things, you miss out on something bigger. And as we look at Genesis, let me read Genesis 2, 18 to the end, and then we'll, from this, build a premise for the purpose of marriage. And again, think about this with what we just talked about, and then think about problems that you hear and problems that you have in your own relationships and see how they correlate. Because too often, again, what I've seen people do is they minimize the marriage to that problem as if if we can just fix this, that's going to change this marriage, not understanding that this is a symptom of something bigger. And this is the fruit. There's a root issue that if we can deal with the root, it will fix so many things in a relationship because this is just a symptom, not the main problem. However, if I'm focused on this one thing that I think is going to change the marriage, what we fail to understand is that one thing is a symptom of a character deficiency that's tied to something greater and bigger. And what I try to train people in counseling is stop chasing fruit and learn the root and know the difference between the two. Because if you just chase fruit, once you solve this because you didn't deal with the root, guess what? It's going to show up over here. It's going to show up over here. It's going to show up over here. And every counseling session will be about trying to fix the symptom instead of dealing with the source. And the source comes back to something greater than just a problem at hand. It's always back to character deficiency. Does that make sense, guys? Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord said, It's not good for man. Well, let me go back to verse 15. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From 
any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat from it, for the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now, notice what we see. There's an order here. Verse 18, he says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. Why is it not good for man to be alone? I will make him a what? Isn't that interesting? He defined the reason why it wasn't good for man to be alone. And most people miss that. It wasn't because Adam was lonely. He couldn't get it done by himself. He was meant to be in community. He was meant to be connected. It was always meant to be bigger than just himself. But notice an order here. God gave Adam work. He gave Adam his word. And he gave Adam a warning before he ever got the woman. You see the order? Work, word, warning, then the woman. When men take it out of order, they don't know what to do with the woman God gave them. And they reduce the woman to something other than what she was meant to be in his life. I have two daughters, and they've learned the hard way, and they're coming around now. They're 36 and 34, and I always tell them, I don't care how cute, kind, and cuddly he is. If the man ain't working, if he don't know the word, and he's not heeding the warning, he's not the one. But daddy, you don't understand, sweetheart. It's attractive, but it will be destructive. Whatever a man will do with you, he will do to you. If a man is willing to tell you a lie or to lie with you, don't be surprised when he lies to you. If a man is willing to be deceptive with you, don't be surprised when he's deceptive to you. He's operating out of who he is. And if you don't see him for who he is, not just what you want, you're going to miss the reality of God's big picture for marriage. Because people operate not out of your expectations, they operate out of their character. And when you deal with people according to your expectations, not according to their character, you're always disappointed and angry and expect that you should have more. Which shows how you've limited the relationship to what you want, not seeing God's agenda and who they really are. Does everybody understand that logically? Does that, does that make sense? And sometimes we miss that. But anyway, i got too much to say in a little bit of time. Let me keep going. <laughs> Then the Lord says, it's not <clears throat> good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for you. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and together brought her and from taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So from this. In closing, let me just kind of show you how the purpose of marriage can come from Genesis, which ties us back to the purpose for why we exist. Marriage was designed for companionship, but we need to understand what this companionship was about. Marriage was designed so that man would not be alone, but alone in what? Fulfilling God's plan. If you can't live by yourself, you won't be able to live with anybody. If you can't find contentment and fellowship with God, you'll be miserable with someone else. But the reality is marriage has to be bigger than fulfilling you being lonely. Or you'll reduce the marriage to just you. Marriage was designed so that man and woman would not be alone in fulfilling God's plan. But thirdly, marriage was designed for man and woman to be lifelong partners that would meet genuine needs of one another. And that's important. And satisfy legitimate desires of one another. How long? For life. As priority above everyone else and everything else. But secondly, we see from this passage, marriage was designed for co-laboring. Marriage was designed to provide a man with a woman to assist him in his God-given responsibilities. Marriage was designed so that man and woman could work together as a team in fulfilling God's commandment accordingly. Marriage was designed to show how men and women can work together in a union to advance the kingdom agenda of God. One of the biggest struggles we find in marriage, and I tell people this all the time, 
you keep trying to create your spouse into your image. And you're miserable because you're trying to marry you. Okay? You didn't marry you. And the more you keep trying to make them like you, no one was meant to fit your image. We were all created in God's image. And there's a reason they're different than you. And the more you keep trying to reduce them to your preferences, your thought processes, your agenda, your way of operating, you are trying to be what you were never meant to be, God. They're different for a reason. And the moment you can recognize how that difference is not a detriment, but can be a benefit because there's a reason why they're different, you understand what that looks like and how together y'all can get something done for the glory of God and be a benefit to one another, life can change. But the more you keep trying to make them like you, the more miserable you will become. Because no one was meant to be a mini you. We were meant to be disciples of Christ, not disciples of our husband or disciples of our wives. And too often the challenge is forgetting that reality. Oh, y'all got real quiet. Let me move on. I could feel that holy quietness. It was too holy quiet. I was like, oh, let's move on. <laughs> Marriage was designed to show how men and women can work together in a union to advance the kingdom of God. Number three, God designed marriage for cleaving. What does that mean? Man and woman are called to come together. As a family unit separate from their mothers and fathers, men and women are called to come together to build a foundation based on their new family, not the original family. One of the biggest struggles I found in our marriage at the beginning was that I had a way of operating, my wife had a way of operating, and we both thought our way was the way, and there was no other way to do what we've been doing for all our lives. And we had to both make some adjustments in the way we do so many things. But that was also part of the progressive sanctification of learning the power of working in relationships with one another. Because the more we could do that with each other, we found it easier to do that at the church. Because what happens at the church? Everybody comes to the church with their own agendas and own ideas of how things should work. And there are clashes because we haven't learned how to adjust and understand how to work together for God's agenda. Again, as we understand this, men and women are called to, again, come together to build a foundation based on their new family, not their original family. Men and women are called to come together to work on oneness in the marriage. But we also see that God designed marriage for completion. Now think about this completion for a moment. I want you to think with me. Becoming one, growing, is about accomplishing an agenda that God has set before, which means we were meant to help each other grow in the grace and knowledge of God. The more we understand that, when we clash, that's an opportunity for progressive sanctification. Because that person didn't make you angry, you decided to get angry. Because if they can control your feelings, then they can control everything else about you. What's the reality? No one can control your thoughts, your words, your desires, your will. That's yours. God has brought someone in your life to expose you, to show you that the real problem is not them. Now, let me, let me tell you what that means practically, and I'm going to move on because my time is limited. Before I was married, I thought I had all the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, I was living with myself. And when I woke up in the morning, there was love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Meekness, self-control. I mean, I had all of that by myself, living with myself. And then I got married. But guess who I blamed for that so-called lack of love, joy, and peace? Something happened. It was that woman. What did you do? I was fine until I rah, 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 rah. And God said, no, what you fail to recognize is that the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see their depravity and your own. And this woman didn't cause you to not have. She exposed what you never had that you thought you had. And the real issue is not her, but your heart. Now, you can keep blaming her and make excuses, or you can make confessions and deal with your heart issues before me and before her. It's your call. God allowed another person in your life to bring completion, but to expose what you thought was a problem was an opportunity for character development. 
And marriage is one of the best tools to bring these things together. Marriage was designed so that man and woman could help each other come to know Jesus Christ intimately. Marriage was designed so that man and woman can come to help each other become like Christ ultimately. Marriage was designed so that man and woman can help each other become useful to Christ practically, resulting in fulfilling their God-given purpose for existence. These are some of the practical things that we can see from this. Number five, God designed marriage to complement Christ in the church. Marriage was designed to reveal how Christ related to the church. In other words, people are to see how Christ loves the church as they see how man loves his wife. Now let that sink in for a moment. Not how his wife treats him and he decides to treat her, but how he chooses to love his wife. It's not because of her, it's because of him. See, when there's a lack of love in anyone's house, I always take them back to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, what's the first thing it says there is? So if the fruit of the Spirit is love, and you go back to Galatians 5, 16, it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the... So if there's a lack of love in your house, whose fault is it? And if you say the other person then you're making excuses instead of making confessions. Because the ability to love someone was never contingent upon the attitude and actions of that person. The ability to love someone is contingent upon your willingness to submit to the Spirit of God that's within you, Christian. Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, except when my husband, except when my wife. So the reality is, our basic fundamental reality of this relationship we have with Christ is always on display in our marriages. Thirdly, people are to see how the church submits to Christ as they see how a woman submits to her husband. These are some basic principles, guys. And let me say this. As we close out this section and we come back, what I've discovered over my years of shepherding and counseling and teaching This never gets old. And all the problems that I see with people in marriage, and I mean, now I'll talk later about the the things that people use for excuses, and we'll talk about that in the next session. But there are excuses that people tend to give for why this is happening or that's not happening. And I want to show you in reality that we make a lot of excuses instead of making a lot of confessions and allowing God to forgive us and get back in step and begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. But the purpose of marriage is always tied to the purpose of life. And where we are missing in the purpose of life, it shows up in what we're doing with our marriages. But prior to that, it shows up in singles and how they're choosing to date. I said this and I'll say it again. I don't want to deal with married people anymore. I want to spend the next five years with singles. Because that's where, if I can help singles begin to see what I'm saying now, it will change a lot of marriages. Because all I see with marriages are just single people still want to be single, trying to be married, but stay single. Am I making sense to you? But if we can get biblical and stop allowing the culture to confuse us and get to where we were meant to be as Christians, we can show the world what marriage looks like. We can show the world what a real man, what a real woman looks like as we operate, watch this, by grace relations above race relations. And we have the power to do that. All right, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll talk about the role of a husband when we come back.